therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The Founder of Salvation For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man, that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man, that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again. Behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews chapter 1 focuses us on the Son his supremacy over creation, angels, and his rightful place beside God as king. Chapter 2 begins with a therefore, and we all know what that means. We need to find out what the therefore is the for. So the author says that we must pay closer attention to what we've heard otherwise we'll drift from it. This means to pay superabundant attention to the doctrines and teachings of Jesus in this day and age. This word closer in closer. Attention is perisiteros, which means more frequently, more earnestly and more abundantly. We must pay very close attention to our salvation, the claims of Christ the price. He paid to redeem us. The salvation we have isn't a throwaway event. It isn't to once I got it I move on doctrine. It's an eternal truth that literally changes us by God's Holy Spirit. It's incredible. Drifting away from this is possible, but only with being swept away into false theology, a false 
Christology and a really low view of God. The Greek word for drift here is parahuio which means to flow by like a boat sailing past without any direction or reason. Matthew Henry tells us why this forgetfulness is so dangerous. When we have received gospel truths into our minds, we are in danger of letting them slip. Our minds and memories are like a leaky vessel, they do not without much care retain what is poured into them, this proceeds from the corruption of our natures, the enmity and subtlety of Satan, he steals away the word, from there entanglements and snares of the world, the thorns that choke the good seed. 2. Those meet with an inconceivable loss who let gospel truths, which they had received, slip out of their minds, they have lost a treasure far better than thousands of gold and silver, the seed is lost, their time and pains in hearing lost, and their hopes of a good harvest lost, all is lost, if the gospel be lost. Verse 2 mentions the message delivered by angels. This means the law of Mount Sinai given by God to the Israelites to obey. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, speaks of how if a lesser and more insufficient means of salvation was delivered to us through angels and through God directly from Mount Sinai to us and there was grave penalties for disobeying it exists. How much more should we heed salvation when it is given once for all by Jesus? How much more should we trust Christ for our souls now that he has spoken and given us the gospel? This law and covenant of works was so sure and steadfast that the penalties for neglecting it were huge, and the word for firm or steadfast literally means having many feet for strength. Verse 3 says, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first communicated through the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And this is talking about escaping punishment if we simply drop the gospel and turn our backs on Jesus, resulting in eternal repercussions. How can we as believers have any hope without this salvation? The cost is too great. The penalty is too high. The price to pay for sin cannot be borne by us. There is salvation in no other name but Jesus. There is no name given among men. Whereby we must be saved. Verse 4 While God bore witness by signs and wonders, John Gill has this to say about their amazing things the apostles did to confirm their apostleship and that the gospel they were preaching was true. They confirmed the message by doing things, such as taking up serpents without hurt, healing the sick, causing the lame to walk, and raising the dead, and casting out devils, and the like, all which were for the confirmation of the gospel preached by them, a sign, wonder, or miracle, for these signify the same thing, is a marvelous work done before men by the power of God, to confirm a divine truth. All of these wonderful and shocking sign gifts were proof that Jesus was with these men. These wonders were not tricks to make people laugh, or little fun things to make people smile. 
these were powerful full healings of people, and being harmed by snakes that it having no effect, and being able to raise people from the dead. These were confirming that the gospel they were preaching was the real deal. This is what always got me about the charismatic movement was that we were always taught that these miracles the apostles did were supposed to be the norm for all believers, but I never saw one believer in my entire 28 years in there movement who could even perform one of the miracles the apostles did. Remember when Peter in Acts could walk through the streets and his mere shadow could heal people? Remember how a young man named Eutychus fell out of a window and died sleeping through a sermon and Paul just raises them from the dead? Nobody in that movement could do those things. But they said we could. This is because the message of the gospel has been approved by the signs that the apostles did already. Now we have absolute proof that the message was real, and came in power, and had the power to save. If everybody could do these things, then they'd be reconfirming, and reconfirming, and reconfirming a message through the ages that already had twelve men confirm it. This is why they were called the signs of the apostles. Verse 5 again states that Jesus has been given the rule over the world, and that it was made for him, not angels, and that Jesus is the captain of our salvation later in verse 10. This means the leader, the chief, the head, the author, the uttermost highest of ranks in salvation. Verse 6 reminds us of our frailty and insignificance in the grand scope of the world. Chuck Smith in his Through the Bible commentary puts it this way when thinking about our tiny lives. Have you ever had that overwhelming experience of sleeping out up in there? Mountains or by a stream or out in the desert where you can see the Milky Way and you can see what looks like jillions of stars, and as you begin to contemplate there, heavens above your head, this psalm really speaks to me. I've had this experience. I've considered the heavens, the work of God's fingers and these stars and all that God has ordained, and I've thought, wow! What am I? We frail, incapable, and quite prone to sin, created beings are thought of by God. Not just thought of, but adopted into his family through Jesus. We are then called, not children, but sons and daughters. An adoption term like when a family welcomes someone into their family who receives the same rights, privileges, food and financial covering, even further does God provide protection, deliverance, comfort, a home, joy, peace, faith, the ability to forgive. God gives these things because we're adopted into his family. Verse 8 describes how Jesus has put everything under his subjection, but that we don't see it all. Yet. We know this is true now more than ever. God hasn't removed all sickness, pain, death and sorrow from this world. But he has already overcome it. He hasn't removed all bad feelings. Bullying, rude TV and rampant violence. But he has already overcome it. He prepares a place for us that is built in heaven, 
and his death and resurrection has proved that he's still building. He hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't left us. He has conquered every enemy and now patiently wants the world to know the gospel through people like you and me. Jericks, Lewis, Goddards, Robertsons, Bambricks and Genches. The frail people that he has adopted. This seems foolish. But is his method for reaching the world.